Hey everyone, I'm Veronica Roshek, and I'm your host of the Amplify Iowa podcast. This is a place to hear the stories of our favorite, some of the fastest growing, and some super unique local businesses directly from their leaders. Thank you so much for being here. Let's go ahead and get started. Today I am with Scott Hookman, who is a partner with Next Level Ventures. We are in their space in Des Moines off of Walnut. If you are familiar with the downtown Des Moines area, we're up on the 12th floor, so you can see lots of great things from this level. Uh, They are a venture capital firm that focuses on Iowa technology companies as well as national fintech companies. Scott, thank you so much for agreeing to do an episode with me today. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Yes. If you could, could you just tell us a little bit about how you got started with Next Level Ventures and also how the company formed and became what it is now? Sure. So I'd say it was in the fall of 2012, my business partners, Craig Gibson and Dwayne Harris and I, formed a partnership that eventually got cemented with all those fun legal documents and and the like then we we went out and started raising our fund and basically a, a fund is a pool of capital from companies from high net worth individuals and it comes together in what's called a limited liability partnership yes and that basically means that that's the structure for a fund and you take that pool of capital to make investments in companies and that can be applied to hedge funds and private equity funds and then venture capital funds which that's what we are initially we invested only in iowa technology companies uh, we launched that eventually after raising the money in January of 2014. We made three investments in 2014, and then eventually throughout fund number one, we made 11 investments in total. In 2018, we launched our second fund, okay. and we've invested in another 10 companies in the second fund. And for fund one and fund two, we manage. $80 million across the, the portfolio. And overall, we've got about 20-some companies that we've invested in. We were able to use all those good connections, all those good investments to give us some further opportunities with a nationwide fintech fund, which will be north of $100 million. And it's backed by credit unions. So with that third fund, we're going to make investments in fintech companies that will help credit unions with getting bigger and stronger with their operations. And we're really excited about that that third thing. And we just launched that in February of 2021. That's super exciting. Uh, lots of really, really big numbers that are probably abstract to most people, but Yes, very exciting. Huge growth for 2014 to now to be in that third fund category already and be in over 20 businesses and having 
those businesses running pretty darn successfully. So you and Craig and Dwayne, as you came together, how did you decide that technology and staying local were going to be really important to how you were getting started? Well, Iowa sort of hits below its weight when it comes to venture capital. It, it, it ranks, I believe, 29th in GDP and 29th in population. But a lot of times in venture capital ranks in the bottom 10. Mm. And that's not a good thing. The, the state of Iowa, not only in the legislature, but also in the governor's office, going back to, I think, even to Governor Vilsack, Governor Branstead, and now Governor Reynolds, have all tried to figure out how to incent more investment into early stage companies or venture-backed companies. So they created a program called the Innovation Fund Tax Credit, which means all the investors in that pool of capital, our funds, will get a tax credit that's applied to basically all Iowa taxes. Hmm. And usually a lot of times these big companies or even the high net worth individuals will make those big types of investments outside the state. They'll put that money to work in New York or San mm. Francisco or Chicago, mm. but not in Des Moines or Cedar Rapids or Dubuque or Council Bluffs. So this was an incentive for them to put that high-risk capital to work in Iowa instead of those other places around the United States or even around the world. So that helped us with forming these pools of capital to invest in Iowa technology companies. So that was the, f the reason why we thought it was be good to focus on on Iowa to, to support the startup ecosystem, the technology ecosystem, mm -hmm. and to help out with supporting these companies along the way. And along the way, we've, we've invested through our two funds. We've helped to encourage venture capital investors from outside the state to come to Iowa and support our companies. And, and combined, all of our portfolio companies are north of $100 million in aggregate sales, and they're growing really quickly. And we're excited about the progress. Yeah, that's interesting that we are so low on that scale when we are kind of middle of the road for actual businesses. So you really found um, something that is a need here locally. So it made sense to go ahead and focus that in locally. Uh, and obviously have been seeing tremendous success with that. That's all really, really exciting. How did you guys decide that technology was going to be the niche for this area. Is technology a primary market in Iowa? Not as much. And that's part of the reason why we don't do so well with venture capital investing is because I was great at ag. Yeah. I was great at manufacturing. I was great at financial services. All those companies are very asset oriented in nature. So a lot of times they can go to a bank to get their capital to, to grow because you can provide collateral for those kinds of businesses, at least the most mature ones. Mm -hmm. So venture capital is not the biggest way of, of financing those kinds of businesses. But there has been a lot of great innovation coming out of the University of Iowa, out of Iowa State University, and then entrepreneurs who just found a problem mm -hmm. and they created a solution and they needed some gas in the tank to help accelerate what they were doing. And a great example of, of that kind of technology is, mm -hmm. is our portfolio company, LenderClose, which is a fintech company that works quite a bit with credit unions. And they just 
announced a round of $10 million just yesterday. And we're super thrilled with what they've been able to do with their capital. And they've been able to scale quite nicely. And it's a, it's a wonderful success story for Iowa. Yeah, it's a huge success story for Iowa. It's a really fun business to watch their growth um, and what they've been doing really on a national level in addition to locally here. Um, so then for those businesses, you you invest in them, you give them funding, and you help them really get off on the right foot there, and you're, you're picking them. Then what else do you do in addition to that in that process now that you are part of their team? Through the process of selecting investments and then working with them post-close. So we, we, we do sourcing, so mm-hmm. networking and what have you. And then mm-hmm. when we've sort of narrowed it down and we, we figure out that this is a, a good opportunity and we like the team, we like their product, we like their market, uh, we like the story of, of where they want to go with a business, then we put the capital in place with some legal documents. And afterwards, a lot of times we serve on the boards of directors of our portfolio companies. And that can mean that we're helpful with raising more money in the future, with offering ideas for talent, opening the door for customers, things like that, where we're providing help. But a lot of times also with just giving feedback on the strategic vision of, of the business with saying, what are your big goals? How, how do you achieve those big goals? And providing guidance along the way to help them out with that. I mean, ultimately, we don't run the businesses. We're, we're right. there as yeah. a advice function as a support function not as a, an operating function and that means that we're, we're there hopefully for maybe one of the first calls when they've got a big decision to make or when they they need some tactical support on something and they just said hey what about this and what about that mm. but but ultimately it's up to the entrepreneurs and their teams to to drive the businesses Gotcha. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. How uh, then with that, as you are that advice and that strategic partner fit uh, into the picture for those businesses, what do you look for when you're in the process of selecting new businesses to work with that are in those startup stages? Yeah. Well, I'll go back to lender close because okay. it's, yeah. it's, it's a, a wonderful example. example. So mm-hmm. Back in the spring of 2017, Omar Jordan, the CEO, pinged us on email and said, hey, we're interested in trying to raise some money. Would you be interested? And they answered a few questions. We said, hey, probably a little too early. But then Omar got in touch with another portfolio company CEO, Ben Milne from Douala. And Ben said, hey, Omar's got something here. And we got in touch with Omar just a few months later. Omar then had a chance to meet one of our our colleagues at Next Level for sort of a screening meeting. And he was pretty excited about learning more. So we got more people involved to learn more about LenderClose, meet more members of the team. And eventually in March of, of 2018, we, we made an investment alongside of some credit unions that, that put money in, into the company. So if you think from that initial contact that, that Omar had with us in the spring of 2017, it, it took a year for that company to eventually get capital from, from Next Level. So it isn't 
a, an easy short process it takes some time to develop relationships and see that it that it makes sense but ultimately looking at all those different things related to the growth story the product understanding the industry that allowed us to make the good decision to to put capital work into lender close Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Not super. Pro- it's when you think of startup, you can't think of it as just the initial. Oh, they have a really good idea. Now we're gonna just go throw a bunch of money at that idea and see it grow. How far along is there? Like a certain length of time that businesses are usually functioning before you would step in to help them while they're still in those startup stages. Yeah, we've got a a different approach now. Mm-hmm. than we did when we first started. So when we launched in 2014, it stated on our website, it was also in our documents that we use for fundraising, that we wanted to have companies that had a million dollars or more of sales. We, we used that as a threshold that made sense where they had enough traction with their customers. They had a, probably a big enough team. They probably had a, a, a well-established product that, hey, now it's time for them to, to really get bigger. Fast forward, though, to our second fund, we've relaxed that. We've said, we'll look at companies that may not have any revenue, mm. that they've got a vision of where they want to go, but we're able to back them, probably with a lot smaller check, though. We're not going to invest as much money. But we're willing to to make more smaller bets in companies at an earlier stage than we did with fund number one. So if you compare and contrast fund one with fund two, fund one has bigger investments in our portfolio companies. In fund two, we have a bigger portfolio with smaller Mm -hmm. investments, which means we think that we'll be able to see a, a more diverse portfolio of companies in our, in our second fund, but still have money left over in case they really are scaling and they're really doing well, we can continue to present more money to them to help them out with their growth plans. Gotcha. You would develop that diversity. Would a piece of that also be that the first fund too, especially when business is in the startup stage and you're putting big chunks of money on the table, you're at risk too, right? Right. Um, In that whole situation. So you're wanting to take a safer risk maybe with that first fund when you're just starting and now you still want it to be a safe risk because you're doing smaller portion of money, but you're willing to take more chances. Is that a good way of thinking through that? Or That's a a really good way of of thinking about it because if if you look at the aggregate sales for fund one Mm -hmm. versus the aggregate sales for fund two at the times that we made all the various investments, it, it's big contrast. So fund one had companies at a much more robust level of sales than, than fund two. But fund two, that means that there's there's greater upside. But to your point, we're, we're not investing as much money in the companies, relatively speaking. So if you think about it, we're only about two and a half years into our second fund, which means we still have, because the life of a fund is, is 10 years, we still have a long time to support the companies along the way. Whereas in fund number one, we're, we're getting close to eight years into to that fund from a time horizon. So we're really there to s- just sort of support as they 
get to to a level where they want to try to sell themselves or raise really big capital from somebody else who has a big pot of money, maybe hundreds of millions or billions of dollars. So it's it it's the same strategy, but a little bit a little bit different from uh, the, the the profile of of the companies. Okay, yeah, that makes. A whole bunch of sense. Uh, so then as then we're talking about that 10 year window. So what does happen when you reach year 10 with those for that first fund? Does that mean that those that you could potentially reinvest in those same companies or how does that work? So generally speaking, the kind of funds that we set up there, they've got a standard 10 year window. And then when you get to the end of 10 years, you can extend it for another two years. Then you can go back to the investors and extend it even further than that if they approve that that mm-hmm. particular thing. And and why would that happen? Well, mm-hmm. it could be that there's a bad economy. It could be that you have a portfolio company that has a process that's going to take a lot longer from from fundraising to exiting, whatever the situation. So you want to give some flexibility mm-hmm. when you hit those milestones down the road for big events that that are going to take place, and when we do get our capital from from a fundraising situation, from an exiting situation, we send that money back to our limited partners, our investors, so then they can get a return on their on their money and and be excited for those opportunities. Mm, so then they would continue to move forward as well. Yeah, it's it even though it's got a lot of similarities to a mutual fund, mm-hmm. it's different because usually a mutual fund's a perpetual activities so people can take money out at, at any time generally and they can reinvest money at any time and that'll just go on and on and on but usually a, a venture capital fund or a private equity fund will have a, a sort of a short window to, to do this kind of investing to scale a company and then drive it to some kind of an exit back in the day when venture capital was really starting a lot of these companies would go IPO but now mm-hmm. you got to be pretty big mm-hmm. in order to go IPO. So a lot of times the companies, they'll, they'll be some kind of a fundraising event where there's a big check that comes in and some of the investors will exit or there will be a complete exit. Everybody's selling to, to a bigger company or to, to an investment firm. Hmm. Yeah, it's it can be you can think about it really simply, but also it could be it's really complex at the yeah. same time. Well, uh, I mean. It's a it's a lot like buying a house. Yeah. But it's with a different purpose for the house. Yeah. So the <laughs> the way that I I try to explain it to people is think of the person who owns the house and you combined it with the house. So when you go to a bank and you ask for for a mortgage, they're they're not only looking at the house, but they're also looking at you. Mm. So when we look at a company, we're sort of thinking about the the you and and the house, but it's a technology company instead. So you're you're trying to assess those things combined because the person's the income, if you will, the the product and the team and how's it going to to get that money paid back. In our case, the money that's paid back is maybe instead going to add on to the house, yeah, or to fix up the house or do other things, maybe go buy more houses or things like that. So we're more in this growth mode instead of like in a bank with a mortgage where you're just trying to pay off the loan. We're trying to say, okay, we want to really grow this house. Mm-hmm. 
and do that with technology, do that with, with capital, which is a different, different approach, but very much the same type of logic. Yeah. So then as you're doing that and you're investing in these companies for this long period of time, are there certain risks that, I mean, calculated risks, of course, they all have been, but what has been something that uh, in this second fund that you've taken that chance on, but a, a good chance that is just a really exciting business that is just going really well at this point? Well, so I'll give you one example of, of a pretty early stage bet. So there's a company called Distinct. It's based in Ames. They have a technology to make barns smart. Hmm. So think of all the things that can happen with the barn, with animals and, and what have you, and the people that go into those barns and tracking what's happening, having sensors to help out with that. And then you need software to manage and provide analytics and the like. Well, they're talking right now to big, huge customers that want to manage barns, but this is a new product. They're trying to figure out what's the best way to sell to those big, huge companies. And that takes a lot of time because big companies don't make decisions really quickly, mm -hmm. especially when it's a pioneering solution. Mm -hmm. There's a different way to do that management of the barn today. So they're going to replace a, a process that is perfected for what it is with a new solution that's technology-based. But you, people are going to have to be trained. They're going to have to understand that there's a different type of costs. How does it all fit together for their plans? And we see the bigger upside for what, what they're doing, even though they're relatively earlier in their development. We, we were excited about the possibility of coming in at an early stage to, to see how we could partner with them and help them to grow. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you're a frequent podcast listener here, you may have listened to Make You Safe, which is another um, company that uh, is associated with Next Level Ventures. And there, it's a very similar kind of concept where it's a brand new solution, right? replacing something that's, it's, there's already a system for it. There's just now going to be a better system for it. But right. There's all those stages. So I would think too with um, just how much technology is advancing every year, it's advancing at a faster pace than it was the year before. And going forward, that's just going to continue to compound. I would think too that you'll be able to see some of that growth potentially faster than in other sectors of the industry. Would that be true? Well, almost every one of our companies are making something more efficient. Yeah. And they're doing it with technology. It, it could be that they're taking a hardware thing, like the Make You Safe example, mm -hmm. but the, the big driver of what Make You Safe is doing is software, and it's combined with data. And that mix of things is allowing them to really solve a lot of different problems. And the, you'll, you'll see that with all of our portfolio companies where software helps out with making this productive thing that much better. So to your point where technology is, is driving this, you're able to see things with data, you're able to see things with the software, with analytics that you didn't 
necessarily see before. You weren't able to access that information, but because things are getting digitized, because you're able to store a whole bunch of this data and then look at ways to solve problems with going through that information, that ultimately takes steps out of the mix. And if you can do that, you can focus on more R&D. You can focus on more advertising. You can focus on developing your team with those resources that you've taken out of the mix because of the efficiencies that you've gained through new technology. So that's why there's continuously more and more money that's raised in venture capital because they're seeing the benefits from this new solution that comes out related to software or what have you. Uh, there's a really famous tech entrepreneur and now venture capitalist called Mark Andreessen from Andreessen Horowitz. So that's okay. a big venture capital firm. And Mark Andreessen, I think he was originally born in Iowa, hmm. if I'm remembering correctly. But his claim to fame, his initial way to get into the tech scene was that he helped to create what became Netscape, which was one of those mm. original web browsers. Yes, it was. And and now he's he's taken that experience and other ones in technology to become one of the biggest technology investors here in the United States and I would even say around the world. And he had this phrase that was saying that, that software is eating the world. And what I was just sort of <laughs> explaining before is how software is, is solving all these different problems. And Mark brought it down to a really catchy phrase, which, which relates to that big world solving problem uh, issue that, that software is able to provide. So that's, that's what's happening. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, what an exciting time to be in it. What, is, uh, what do you enjoy the most about being in this position here and getting to make these big decisions with these companies? The, the, absolutely the most exciting thing is working with the entrepreneurs and helping them out with their journey from our first relationship where we get to, to know somebody like at a coffee shop, a Zoom meeting, whatever it happens to be, to the point when you're able to sort of ring that bell, mm -hmm. when you're able to then have an exit with the, the company where people are having a great success. And that's a, a great achievement along the way. And everybody's aligned to try to drive to that big outcome. So that's the exciting thing. It's not a quick sprint. It's not something where you make an investment on January 1st and then just a few weeks later, everything's worked out. You make that investment and it could be multiple years. It could be a decade until the, the big opportunity happens. But you're there to, to be a support vehicle for the entrepreneur on their journey. Yeah, I love that. It's one of the same reasons that I've enjoyed doing this exact podcast is getting in front of people that have that entrepreneurial spirit that have... Uh, you know, taken some level of risk to do something different or do it on their own or in their own way and make it better, or help more people, whatever it happens to be. And they say, you know, if you surround yourself with those sort of people, then that makes you better as well. And um, that atmosphere is certainly a great thing to be around too. So Definitely. Yeah. So I really enjoy that answer. Have there been any situations that, uh, and I'm sure there have, have, as you've gone through this path the last six, seven years, uh, that something that 
didn't go so well or that maybe caught you guys by surprise that that you had to you know pivot and make a big shift for yeah almost every one of our portfolio companies has some kind of a pivot (laughs) yeah and uh, sometimes they're bigger pivots than others and you're trying to just be there as a sounding board when they when they do those those things so then you can be helpful and sometimes that means writing another check into the company making more um, a bigger investment into the company but you, you want to say okay how do we how do we want to spend that money how mm-hmm. do we want to develop products how do we want to add to the team grow the business things like that so we're we're trying to figure out the money side but also the planning side so then people are on the same page for for growing the the company going forward and that that's tough because when you're making a pivot it's a change mm-hmm. and changes are are tough you, know, you can be a change on the good side and changes on the on the bad side and you're you're striving that the changes can be mostly on the good side mm-hmm. yeah absolutely that makes sense of course with especially with newer businesses really everyone goes through some level of change but you'd always have to be going through those changes the new fund then so this fintech fund that's exciting because that one now you've all of a sudden expanded your landscape outside of just being local here. How do you go about picking uh, and choosing companies to work with on that scale versus locally? That's got to be a somewhat different process. Yeah. When we're investing in Iowa, our biggest criterion is Iowa. Yeah. And if, if it's got a cool product, a cool market, a cool team, and a cool story, that means that well, hey, let's talk. Let's mm-hmm. let's try to figure out more opportunities. Now, we we still want to apply those cool things to the fintechs on a nationwide basis, but there's a a, cre- a key ingredient is to try to figure out how credit unions fit into the mix because all of our investors are going to be credit unions. They're going to provide the capital through our fund, but they're also poised to be potential customers mm-hmm. after we make the investment. So one of our, our big things is to try to get the opinions of credit unions into our decision making. Mm-hmm. Try to figure out whether this is something that already some credit unions are using, get their feedback, or if there's ones that would like to demo the solution. Once again, what do they think? Is this something that some of them would like to use? And once we start developing those those thoughts, there's maybe a critical mass that can form and we can p- apply some capital and then the commercialization and what happened after we made the investment. So that that's the tweak, if you will, that allows us to, to be that much more focused with making an investment decision. Yeah, that seems incredibly smart because then you're able to meet the needs of both what the customer is going to want, but then also what your partners are going to want in, in raising that fund. And so right. technically you're able to very unified, make everybody happy, right? Well, we're trying we're trying to do see that. More yeah. Growth. yeah. Uh which isn't always the only goal, of course, but then that should potentially create really great success, right? Uh, You're uh, mitigating that risk more. We're 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 hoping so. Yeah. You, usually when you make an investment in venture capital, mm-hmm. yes, there's a big collection of limited partners, investors in yeah. the fund, but they don't necessarily connect with that technology. They may go, oh, that's, hey, that's really intriguing. We love that, that's that's great. But they would maybe never use it. Mm-hmm. So they're observing a cool investment, but 
not a user of the technology. In this particular situation, there's still maybe 50 or more investors in the, the pool of, of capital, the fund. But when they're presented the technology, they go, hey, I could use that. And mm -hmm. let's figure that out. Let's try to see if we can demo it, pilot it, and then go to a contract and try to implement it. Well, that's a much different strategy than, than sort of the traditional form of venture capital. So we're, we're hopeful that our thesis that we have related to this yes. is, is actually going to work well in action. Yeah, we'll be interested to see how that strategic plan plays forward yeah. then. Yeah, that's awesome. So what advice would you give to someone that's either just starting or is in the early stages with a brand new business? Well, I, I, I would say that if you're a mom and pop or business or you're just a small business that's going to focus on a local situation and then you're maybe a nationwide oriented type of business or global oriented business, you, you still have to really figure out the same things. You got to figure out your, your capital, where you're going to get money to pay for things. That can come from credit cards, your friends and family, your own savings from other investors, maybe your customers. That's even the best because, hey, you, you've got a product that you can just sell right away and you can make some profit off of that to cover your costs. So that's one big thing. Understanding your your product what what is that thing that you're trying to provide to your customers understanding how do you fit into your overall market how do you differentiate yourself and then finally what's your team going to be like is it for sort of the mom and pop small small business where it's just a small group of people how do you find the time to do those kinds of things? Are you full-time in this as a part-time thing? How does, how does that all work together? If it's a startup that's trying to scale nationally, internationally, then team for all those different types of things becomes a little bit more challenging because you're thinking about maybe just not just a handful of people, but dozens, if not hundreds of people as you get bigger and stronger. So there, there's a lot of complex issues, but you can figure out a a business plan. And mm -hmm. this is not a hundred page thing that you got to write down in small font size and, and all those kinds of things and adhere to everything that you're there. But you can do some some milestone plans with some specifics around that and try to figure out how, to, how do you adhere to that plan with the same time being flexible enough to adjust things as you learn it. Those are those pivots that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Because if you put a budget together, you put a plan together, it's wrong right away. As yeah. soon as you hit the print <laughs> button or the send button, whatever it is, it's wrong. Uh -huh. So be able to adapt and figure out how do you make it better from the information that you're learning in the space. If you're a scalable startup that's trying to raise angel capital or venture capital, there's a, a book that I really think that provides some good concepts. It's not a how-to, it's a conceptual book that I think is helpful, but with that conceptual process in mind, it can help you out with iterating in the right fashion along those lines that I was just, um, just describing. Mm -hmm. And that's called the Lean Startup. Mm. And basically it says, talk to your customers, understand what do they want, figure out so that that's relating to what your product is. I mean, 
do you really want to be in your basement for two years while you try to perfect the product and you did it in a vacuum? Or would it be better to sit there and build a demo, a prototype of your product, and then start talking to people that you think are the most logical buyers and get feedback? Would they be willing to test it? Would they be willing to do some kind of a trial? Buy it even? How much? So you want to get customer feedback, but you want to get feedback from a whole bunch of other things within that process. So then you can be as lean as possible. Don't spend a lot of money. Don't spend a lot of time. Try to really focus yourself on what's successful and then iterate. Learn from those things. Those are those pivots and get to the, to the answer. And you can apply that to the mom and pop local business that's not super big, but it's great for those entrepreneurs for what they want to do, their passion and their lifestyle. Or it's applicable to the to the big scalable startups like our big shining star in, in Iowa where Kiva up in Ames with mm. what they've been able to do and ultimately take a, a company with just an idea all the way to being an IPO company with a big valuation and having a big campus up in Ames and things like that. They did the, exactly the same thing. They didn't follow the lean startup per se, but they followed those kinds of concepts. They They figured out along the way how they could pivot this way and that way to work with their customers, work with their team, work with their product to figure out how they could ultimately get to where they are today. So those are some good concepts that you can apply for your own startup, whatever it may be. That's really good advice. That's super applicable. I don't think anybody's given that answer before related to your business plan, but that makes a whole bunch of sense that that would be a huge piece to focus on um, so that it uh, doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be right, <laughs> like you were saying, but that you have it planned and that you know how you're going to, what your vision is um, before right. you you kick it off. You've thought through every angle of everything that could happen so that you're a little bit more prepared when those big changes, pivots right. have to come your way. So you've, you've thought about it, but then, yeah. you know, like, Basically, you could even say a second after you yeah. figured this out, then you learn something and mm-hmm. boom, you, you've got to make a change. It could be just a little change. Sure. It could be a big change, but you're going to make changes. Yeah. A constant working draft. Yeah. But every business really should have that, an iteration of that, even when they're successful, right? They sh- exactly. They should always be. I mean, if you think that. about the really big businesses, they, through their budgeting process, through their planning process, mm-hmm probably in a little bit more bureaucratic fashion because there's more people at those companies and they're more established, but they probably have things that they got to really focus on. Are we doing all the things that are part of the vision? Are we checking the boxes along the way to spend money on that, that thing that we're trying to develop? Or if we're not, okay, what do we need to do in order to make sure that we've answered the questions so then we can get approved to do this or hire a person or to, open in a new office somewhere, whatever it happens to be, just all those things are little mini business plans that people are putting in place. That's a great answer. I think that a lot of people will take something away from that and start working a little harder on their, on their business plan if they have something sort of started, or maybe it's just in their head. Uh, I always think that's important too. You know, you got to actually get it out on paper and talk to people about it and really start to solidify some of those decisions. In addition to that, there are already great things coming up 
for you here, but it, uh, what is something that you're really excited about that's coming forward? Well, I, I'm, I'm super excited when there's more opportunities to meet face to face with entrepreneurs yeah. and, <laughs> you know, everybody has a little bit different taste on that. I mean, some people are willing still to, to meet inside and do the social distancing thing when it was nicer weather, yep. people were doing a coffee or, or beer or lunch or whatever outside on a patio or a roof deck or something or somebody's backyard. But to just get back to a scenario where you can have that personal interaction and do it more often with new people as well as the people that you've known for years, that is a, a great thing because you're developing better relationships. You're meeting more people that can be helpful to yourself, but also to, in our case, our portfolio companies, and then just the ecosystem. Uh, a lot of times we'll get resumes from people who are just connected to us and, and we may not have a role for that person at our portfolio companies, but we, we may know of somebody else somewhere in that overall ecosystem. And we say, well, you should go talk to that company. Mm -hmm. That, that helps to build that much better of a network. And that's important here in Iowa, where we're still trying to really get ourselves to parity with our population or GDP when it comes to venture capital. And if we can achieve that, that'll be a wonderful thing. And I think we're on the path to making that happen. Very exciting. I also am a huge fan of that. I Technology is wonderful, and it's great to be able to meet people uh, in a variety of different places virtually. But there's something special about being able to get in person and have those meetings and just continue those conversations forward. So, um, Scott, thank you so, so much for taking some time to share about your business and about the businesses that you work with and uh, about yourself today. Well, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. You're Welcome anytime. We need to see more people out and about. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, well, thanks for what you're doing for our community as well. Continue to see great things come from your partnerships. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Amplify Iowa podcast. If you enjoy these stories, please leave us a review. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow Amplify Iowa on social media. A-M-P-L-I-F-I-A. Amplify Iowa, small businesses, doing big things.